You are listening to the Grace Covenant Church Audio Podcast. If you have your Bibles, look with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Pretty easy to find. First book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5. We'll get there eventually. You can take the sermon notes if you'd like. And I might also mention, uh, we have, we're in this series that we've titled Culture Shock, and this book was a great influence on the series and has certainly shaped my thinking process by Chip Ingram, a phenomenal book. And I apologize, we ran out last week. Uh, we got through first service and second service and third service and Monday night, didn't get any. Um, so we have this available out in the foyer. We got a phenomenal deal on them, um, so we can sell them 10 bucks a piece. You go to Amazon, they're 15 um, we're not making any money. We just want to help you with a great resource. And this is a phenomenal book written really well, uh, very solid. So I would encourage you to stop by. You can pick one up um, if you like. Because so we're continuing today this Culture Shock series, uh, today we're going to address the issue of sexuality. So if you're a parent and you have younger children in the room, um, it's, you know, certainly your call to make. We have some wonderful children's ministry available. But this is what I would call a rated uh, PG-13 moving tour, rated R. And so, again, parents, it, it's really your call. You know your children. But we do have ministries available that you may want to consider. But as we began this series last week, we talked about how we should address the divisive issues of our day. The issues that are creating conflict and lots of conversation in the classroom. Um, If you're a college student, certainly in the classroom on college campuses, they're happening at the water uh, at the water cooler in your workplace, in the break room, um, at the baseball park. I mean, there's some there's some issues and happenings in our community today that's stirring angst, that's stirring uh, conflict and division and. And so last week we looked at, as we laid the foundation for this series, how should we address those issues? How should we engage those, uh, those difficult conversations about issues? And this, this is what we're going to talk about in this series, sexualities today. And we're going to talk about uh, politics. We're going to talk about homosexuality, abortion, racism. Those are some pretty weighty subjects. So how should we respond Because I believe that we should speak truth. I believe that we must stand for truth. But it's not enough just to speak truth. How we speak the truth is really important. So throughout this series, I'm going to come back to this. Because I believe that we want to follow the model of Jesus Christ. What's the model of Jesus? As he confronted the conflicting issues in his day, it was this. He was full of grace and full of truth. Matter of fact, John 1.14 says exactly that. That Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. And I believe that's the model that we should have as we're addressing these issues, as we're conversing with individuals who may have opposite opinions, opposite convictions that you might have as a Christ follower. We want to be, again, full of grace and full of truth. So help me out here this morning. As we're addressing divisive issues, we want to be full of grace and full of truth. truth. You know, one of the things that frustrates me is if you were to interact with the unchurched of our community or individuals who would identify themselves as being far from God, this is what they would say. We know exactly what the church is against. But I wonder if they know what we're for. We've heard Christians rant about what they believe. 
And certainly at times, I think we've all been guilty of using truth to beat people up. We know what they're against. But my question is, do they know what we're for? I see, I'm convinced that your role and my role as a follower of Jesus Christ is not so much to win the conversation, but it's to represent Jesus Christ. I think sometimes we get so caught up and I've got to win that we're not extending grace. We're not being um, respectful in the process. Again, I don't think we should ever compromise truth. I think we must speak truth. I think that's one of the things that's got us into trouble today in our nation is we've lost uh, the whole concept of what is truth. And we're calling wrong right and right wrong. And I think it's that that's created. And so we should speak truth. But how we speak the truth is, is really significant. So we want to be full of grace, full of truth. Well, today we want to talk about the fact that God is for sex. Amen. <laughs> Only one man in the house. Sex was his idea. It was a part of his creation plan. However, he's given us guidelines to protect us and to protect the gift, the gift of sex that he's given us. You know, the challenge today is that our culture has abused and misused what God gave us to enjoy, and it's created a multitude of problems. As it relates to sex and sexuality, I would say that we're in a state of our we're in a state of crisis in our community, in our nation, and in our world today. As a result of the abuse of sex and human desires out of control, we have issues, major issues today, like this: human trafficking. If you tra- if you trace it back to the roots, folks, it's human desire out of control. We have issues like child molestation. We have issues like divorce. We have issues like sexually transmitted diseases. We have issues like individuals destroying their lives one sex act at a time. All because we've neglected God's guidelines concerning the issue of the gift that he gave us. And we have human desires out of control. I mean, we've had this massive shift in our culture, even to the point, like if you were to look back 50 years, if we were to go back 50 years and then do a fast time travel to present day, we would say, like, what country am I living in? Like, how did we get here? Man, so much has changed. Matter of fact, let me just throw some statistics at you. I don't want to over... Uh, overwhelm you with statistics, but I think these statistics begin to tell the story of of the shift that's happened in our nation that's brought the crisis that we have today. If you were to go back into the 1950s, about 5% of girls in high school were sexually active and about 10% of boys were sexually active. It's talking about high schoolers. Present day, today, about 70% of girls in high school are sexually active and about 80% of boys are sexually active. In about 50 years. Today, today, 50% of all women and men under the age of 30 cohabitate before they marry. And the challenge is, is they think it's the normal way. They think it's the acceptable way. I mean, why not? Should we not test drive this thing before we like make the commitment? And we just, we've come to see it as normal. Well, we just, that's part of the problem. We cohabitate and it works then we get married i was in a conversation this has been some time back with um, a couple because if individuals come to grace covenant and they want to become a part of our church family that one of the things that i feel is i have a responsibility to speak truth if you want me to be your pastor 
then I have a responsibility before God to speak truth to you. If you don't want me to speak truth to you, then don't come here and don't ask me to be your pastor. Really simple. But as I, I, this couple wanted to become a partner at Grace Covenant, and certainly you're welcome to come and worship at Grace Covenant if you're cohabitating. I, I believe we're all in a process of, of trying to find Christ in our lives and find the way of Christ. But as this couple came to be a partners at Grace Covenant, I felt like I had a responsibility to sit down and say, hey, this is not God's best. This is not God's way. Very gracious, very compassionate, very kind. As I'm having this conversation, I'm, I'm, we were actually at a restaurant, and I'm glad we were in a public place because this guy's face, I mean, from his neck going up to his head, you could just turning beet red. And finally, this is what he said to me. He says, who do you think you are to tell me what I can do? I said, I'm not telling you what you can do or can't do. I'm only telling you what God's Word says. But today, again, in our culture, this has become just, it's the normal way. Hey, well, you folks cohabitate, and then they, they get married. Again, taking what's wrong, and we're calling it right, in the name of self-fulfillment. And there's, golly, I could go on and on with the statistics about Pornography. Did, did you know that in the United States of America, we are the lead producer of pornography, that every week there's 150 triple X porn films created in our nation? 150. With the internet today, you know, pornography, you, you don't have to go rent the videos. You can just, in the privacy of your bedroom, the privacy of your room, the privacy of your office, you can push a few buttons. The result of that today... Statistics say somewhere between 40 to 50 percent of men are weekly visiting porn sites. And that's not just men in the world. Interesting, they've come to discover the statistic is about the same for men in the church. And it's not just a male issue. Um, The numbers in relation to females is um, startling as well. I believe we have a crisis in our nation today because we've neglected the guidelines of God's word and we've abused and we've misused the gift of sex. That's the problem. The deeper problem is that in our culture, we've traded Christian morality for the morality of self-fulfillment. I think that's really the crux of the problem. Let me say that again. We've traded biblical morality... For the morality of self-fulfillment. The morality of self-fulfillment basically says this. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. I'm going to choose my own way. And who are you to tell me whether that's right or wrong? Now, if you take that mentality with the depravity of humanity, it creates a big problem. And I think that's why we're at crisis today. Remember, I was reading a book. Pastor Glenn recommended this book several weeks ago when he was here. Um, the title of the book is Good Faith, written by David Kenneman and uh, Gabe Lyons. It's a great read. But in their book, they talk about this, this whole issue of the morality of self-fulfillment. Um, and, and they have research, actually, to back this up. And they, they have discovered that in this morality of self-fulfillment, there's six guiding principles. Now, not that I would agree with these principles. I would actually uh, adamantly disagree with them. But, but let me just quickly, and I'm, I'm going to try not to expound on them, but six guiding principles of this morality of self-fulfillment. The first is this. To find yourself, you have to look within yourself. I mean, why would we ever look to our Creator? I mean, golly, you're so smart. Just look, look to yourself. I mean, you have all the answers anyway, right? 
Here's the second guiding principle. People should not criticize someone else's choices. Your choice is your choice. My choice is my choice. How dare you challenge my choice? Here's the third guiding principle. To be fulfilled in life, pursue the things you desire most. In other words, whatever you desire, you pursue that, and in that you find fulfillment. The fourth is enjoying yourself as the highest goal in life. Not serving others, not serving God, but but serving yourself, enjoying yourself, highest goal. The, the, the fifth guiding principle is this. People can believe whatever they want as long as those beliefs don't affect society. In other words, what you believe really doesn't matter. It's what they would say. And the sixth guiding principle that really connects with what we want to talk about today is this. Any kind of sexual expression between two consenting adults is fine. Any kind. Two consenting adults. Male, female, two males, two females, really doesn't matter. It's fine as long as they're consenting adults. That, my friends, is the morality of self-fulfillment, and it's everywhere. It's like the air we breathe. Turn on your TV. It's on the TV show. Commercials, apps, um, radio. I mean, everywhere we look, we're bombarded with this morality of self-fulfillment. Again, basically says, man, you're your own God. Go do what you want. As long as you're happy, that's the most important thing. The problem is, is they don't tell you about the end result of a life of self-seeking. They don't tell you about the end result of a life where you're pursuing passions out of control. They don't tell you about the pain and the heartache and the crisis that it's going to bring for your life. As a result of the morality of God's Word being traded for the morality of self-fulfillment, we have a culture out of control when it comes to the issue of sexuality. Basically, our culture tells us today to pursue our desires and seek out whatever makes us feel good. And listen, it's the exact opposite of God's word. It conflicts. It directly conflicts with God's word. First Peter 2.11 says this. Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Keep away from. Abstain from. Basically, I think in my assessment of all that's happening today... When it relates to sex and sexuality, we've taken what God created as good and for our good, and we've polluted it, we've abused it, and we've misused it. The gift he gave us. I really like the way Chip Ingram addresses the issue in his book, Culture Shock. I have the quote there in your notes. He says, sex isn't just about body parts fitting together or momentary pleasure. It's about heart and personhood. It's about mystery. It's about sacredness. See, you're a sexual being and so am I. They're all a part of God's wonderful creation. Listen, sex is not bad, it's good. Sex is not dirty, it can be God-glorifying when enjoyed within the boundaries that God has designed. See, how you view sex and think about sex impacts your identity and impacts your view of God and it impacts your relationship with others. See, if you have a, a wrong view of sex and abuse sex, then it can be destructive. If you have a right view of sex and you're following God's guidelines, then it can be fulfilling even as God designed in his creative order. And possibly, possibly you've heard this comparative illustration, but I think this simple word picture says it so well. Sex is like fire in the fireplace. 
How many of you know a, on, a, on a nice, cool evening, a fire in the fireplace is really nice, really enjoyable? I mean, it creates heat, light. Uh, man, it's just fun to hang out in front of a fire in the fireplace. Sex is like fire in the fireplace. It's good. It's enjoyable. It's intimate. It's, um, it brings fulfillment. But how many of you know if you take the fire outside of the fireplace, you got a problem? When you take fire outside of the fireplace, it becomes destructive. Something's going to get destroyed. And so it, so it is as it relates to the issue of sex. That's why Jesus gives us some pretty direct words in, in Matthew chapter 5. Let's read what he had to say. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. In these strong words Jesus spoke, he was not condemning sex. He was actually condemning the abuse of sex. Jesus knew the damage that would come in our lives as we misuse, as we abuse sex. Therefore, he gives us guidelines. He knew that it was going to create trouble when we neglected God's word concerning sex. So he gives us these strong words. Notice as Jesus addresses the issue of human sexuality, he actually raises the standard beyond the law, above the law. If you look back to verse 27, he says, the law says, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman or a man lustfully has already committed adultery with her or him in the heart. Now, the law of Moses was very clear, black and white. Someone caught in the act of adultery, they were to be stoned to death. Now, how many of you know if we follow that law today, there would be a decrease in our population? <laughs> I mean, it was very clear. Pretty serious. Adultery, stoning. And what I want you to know is that Jesus actually raised the directive above that. He says it's, it's, you know, it's not just about the act of adultery. I mean, he went right to the issue. The issue is the issue of the heart. The issue is the issue that begins to happen in our thinking process. So Jesus confronts the heart issue that leads to the wrong act. He doesn't just address the act, the act being the adulterer, the act being the end result. No, he backs this thing back up and he says, no, let's talk about the heart. See, before anyone ever commits adultery, there's a process of lust and a feeding of wrong desires that leads to sexual sexual immorality. There's a process of unhealthy, unholy thinking, if not confronted, if not addressed, if not challenged, that will eventually lead you to a wrong sexual behavior. That's why Jesus addresses the issue of the heart, the issue of the thinking process. Basically, Jesus is saying here, hey, put out the fire before it ever gets started. Put out the fire before this thing ever gets out of control. And as we look on in the text, man, Jesus is not passive about how he's addressing this. He challenged us to aggressively, aggressively address the problem. Look back to verse 29. He states, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. 
pretty aggressive. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Now, obviously, Jesus is not speaking literally here. If he was speaking literally, there would be a lot of one-eyed, one-hand people in the world today. So he's not speaking literally, but he's using a figure of speech that's really strong to emphasize the the necessity of dealing with it right away. Don't, Don't give place to. Man, go after it. Confront it. Let me just say something about this for a minute, because I think oftentimes what Jesus said here is taken out of context, and it's used in a a judgmental way. Jesus is not talking about uh, a wrong uh, sexual thought that the enemy bombards your mind with. Nor is he talking about a second look. I mean, you know what what I say when I say a second look. Come on, I'm not the only one that's challenged. Get your hand up. How many know what I'm talking about when a second look? It's like, oh, like God did good. <laughs> that's not what Jesus is talking about here. It's, it's, it's really not. What, what Jesus is talking about here is a thought that you entertain and that begins to allow lust to grow that leads you to an illicit sexual act. That's what he's talking about. He says, don't give place to it. Gouge out the eye. Cut off the hand. In other words, aggressively, aggressively address the problem before it creates a greater problem. Deal with the issue. So in this passage of Scripture, Jesus, again, he's not condemning sex. He's actually giving us guidelines as to how we can honor God and enjoy sex as God created, as God intended. So what's the design? What's the plan? Let's talk for a minute about about God and sex. I don't know what it was like for you growing up, but I grew up in a church where we talked a lot about God all the time. God, 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 all the time about God. But listen, in the church I grew up in, we never talked about sex. Matter of fact, I never heard a sermon about sex until I preached one. Somehow in the church, we thought that we couldn't talk about God and sex, yet it was God who created sex. It was his idea. And actually, the Bible has a lot to say about sex. So I didn't learn about it in church, and I didn't learn about it in my home either. Now, my parents are two of the most wonderful God-fearing folks you would ever meet. But one of the things that we didn't talk about when I was growing up was sex. We talked a lot about God. We couldn't talk about sex. As a result of that, you know, where I, you know where I gained all of my information about sex? From my junior high buddies. How many of you know that was warped? Actually, my junior high buddies in the bathroom wall. Because, because in, in the world I grew up in, you couldn't, you couldn't talk about God and sex. And I think that's, again, that's another root issue in our challenge is we've been afraid to talk about the issues rather than having the conversation and being truthful about what God's word has to say. So so let's talk about, again, God and sex for just a minute. First is this. God is pro-sex within the boundaries he designed. Pro-sex. It's a cute story about a father telling his little boy about 
the facts of life. And he was kind of like halfway through the discourse when, when the son stopped the father and he says, Dad, does God know about this? <laughs> well, obviously God does. It was a part, sex is a part of his creative order. It's part of his plan for our good. Oftentimes when people talk about sex from a Christian perspective, you would think God is anti-sex. And he's not. Again, he is pro-sex within the guidelines he created. I'll talk about that more in a minute. But basically, God has designed sex for, for four things. I'm going to group the first two together. First, God created sex for, uh, for pleasure and procreation. For pleasure between a man and a woman, between a husband and a wife. God created sex for, for their enjoyment. Maybe if you go back to Genesis 1, 27 and 28, in the very beginning, Scripture reads like this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. If you go on to verse 28, it's then that God gives his marriage blessing to this first couple, to Adam and Eve, who are now husband and wife. He gives them this marriage blessing, and here it is. Basically, he says, be fruitful and multiply. Well, so what's the translation? The first thing that God told our original parents was to go have sex. Go make love. Go and enjoy yourself. Go make babies. Listen, the only way you can make babies is to have sex, right? I'm going to have to like stop and do a little birds and bees talk for you. The only way you can have babies is to have sex. So here God says to Adam and Eve, our original parents, hey, go and have fun, multiply, and be fruitful. So first, God designed sex to provide physical pleasure within the, within the boundaries of the marriage relationship and for procreation. God also designed sex to provide relational intimacy. Listen, sex is so much more than just a physical act. It's, it's a union. It's, it's a connecting. It's a sharing. Matter of fact, it's interesting, again, back to the story in Genesis, when the Scripture speaks of Adam and Eve's sexual relationship, it reads like this, and God, uh, excuse me, and Adam knew Eve. So you know this, again, the sexual relationship, and Adam knew Eve. In other words, there was an aspect of relational intimacy. All that they were enjoying emotionally, spiritually, they were now experiencing physically. The sexual union is a means of relational intimacy. Not only that, God designed sex as a spiritual object lesson. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, listen to what Paul wrote. He says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Now Paul calls this a profound mystery, so certainly I don't understand all that he's saying. But what he's making a, um, a connection to here is he's saying this, this relationship between a husband and wife as they come together in sexual union is a picture of the intimacy between Christ and the church. It's a word picture. So God is, he, he's pro-sex, but we also need to understand that God gives us guidelines concerning sex for our good not to rob us. Guidelines. So in other words, he say, hey, okay, here's the gift. 
Let me tell you about the gift. Let me tell you how to enjoy the gift. Let me tell you some parameters of the gift. And God gives us guidelines for our safety. You know, our son Caleb is 15, soon to turn 16, um, and he has his restricted driver's permit. It's been an interesting process. I know some of you have already been through that. Uh, your kid's getting a driver's license. Um, but he's actually a pretty good driver. But as he has now received his driver's license, and he's what I would call a rookie driver, uh, he's just, you know, just starting to become proficient in driving, my wife and I have created some guidelines. And here are some of the guidelines. First, no talking on the phone or texting while you're driving. The second is, um, don't speed like your dad. (laughs) Don't do what I do, do what I say. And the third is, no hauling friends around. Now let me ask you a question. Why do you think we would give those guidelines to our son as he is becoming a proficient driver? Really simple. For his safety and the safety of others. We want to see him alive at 21. For his safety and the safety of others. We've given him guidelines. Not because we want to keep him from fun. Not because we want to restrict him. We want to keep him safe. We want to keep him alive. So we've said, Sonny, here are some guidelines. Listen, in the same fashion, God's given us guidelines concerning sex. Not to limit us, not to restrict us, but to protect us and provide for us. That's the two, that's the two reasons for the guidelines. To protect and to provide. God wants to protect you. Because this is what he knows. He knows when you engage in sexual activities outside of the boundaries which he calls acceptable, when you engage in sexual immorality, there's always a price. There's a consequence. You know, Romans 6.23 says this, the wages of sin is death. The cost of sin. There's always a cost. So the God who loves you wants to protect you. Not only does he want to protect you, he wants to provide for you. He wants to provide for you so that you can enjoy the fullness of all that he intended when he created this gift of sex. He's not trying to hold out on you. He's not trying to keep you from great fun. No, he's saying, I want to provide for you in such a way that you can find fulfillment and you can flourish. But for that to happen, here's the guidelines. But to, pro- to protect us, to provide for us, God gives us guidelines. Because listen, God knows the rest of the story. He knows that sexual sins have a uniquely devastating impact on people's lives. A verse that summarizes this reality is Proverbs 6.32. Listen, listen as I read this verse. Adultery is a brainless act, soul-destroying and self-destructive. Expect a bloody nose, a black eye, and a reputation ruined for good. Since sexual sins have a uniquely devastating impact, it'll have a devastating impact in your life. You know, as we think about sexual sin, I think the first thing I would want you to know is sexual sin is a sin against yourself. Let's start there. It's you sinning against you. It's you bringing trouble for for you. Matter of fact, listen as I read this verse. You might jot this down. 1 Corinthians 
Doesn't know what Paul wrote. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. In other words, you're inviting trouble into your own life. A sexual sin is a sin against yourself. Not only that, sexual sin is a rebellion against God. You're rebelling against God. Ephesians 5, 3 says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity, because these are not proper for God's children. Listen, when you say, I'm not going to follow God's guidelines, I'm going to pursue my own passions. When you say, I'm not going to follow God's word, I'm going to, go, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to fulfill myself any way I want to fulfill myself, then what you're doing is you're rebelling against God. Listen, you can try to paint the picture any other way you want to paint it, but at the end of the day, you're saying, I'm going to go my own way instead of God's way. What is that? It's rebellion. So sexual sin is a, is a rebellion against God. No, no, that sexual sin opens your life to consequence. To consequence. Listen, there is an emotional consequence. As I said earlier, sex is more than just a physical act. It's, it's a bonding. That's why God in His Word says, and two will become one. There's a, a bonding. So every time you engage in sex with someone, you're giving part of yourself away. And so then we wonder why we end up so challenged in our lives. Could it be that over a period of time you consistently, continually gave yourself away? There is an emotional consequence. Not only is there an emotional consequence, there's a spiritual consequence. Sin separates us from God. Sin becomes a barrier between you and God. Listen, sexual sin will keep you from God's best. Every time, all the time. Not only is there a spiritual consequence, there's also a physical consequence. Actually, there's several physical consequences. But, but one that just quickly comes to my mind is sexually transmitted diseases. Did you know that today, uh, actually in this past year, there were 20 million new cases of sexually transmitted diseases? And that's according to the, control for disease, uh, the Center of Disease for Control, or Control, you know, CDC. Check it out. <laughs> 20 million new cases. The estimated medical cost on that 16 billion. 20 million. And th- th- there's physical consequence. And see, because God, listen, friends, because God loves you and He wants the best for you, He said, hey, here's some guidelines for your good. Here's some guidelines for your protection. Here's the way that you can enjoy this wonderful gift, this sacred gift, this holy gift called sex. That was a part of my plan for a husband and a wife, for a man and a woman in a monogamous marital relationship. So God is pro-sex. It's for our good. It's for our benefit. But what happens when we violate the guidelines? How do we respond to that? Hey, possibly, I I don't know this for certain. It's not like I've been peeking around at anyone. If you're wondering, I haven't. 
But possibly today, and it would, it would be pretty normal in a gathering this large, that there's individuals here today who are struggling with an issue of pornography. You hate it, but it's like you can't help it. What do you do with that? Possibly there's individuals here today who you're cohabitating and you, everybody else is doing it. It seems like the, the right next step. Is it according to God's Word? Do you want your way or God's way? P- possibly there's someone here today or maybe a number of individuals here today who you're presently engaging in a relationship that you know is not right. And today it's just conversation, but you're on a slippery slope. And if you don't stop it, if you don't address it, I'm telling you, a wreck is coming for your life. Possibly there's individuals here who you, you, you're challenged with an immoral sexual habit and you don't know what to do about it. How do we respond? Because listen, that's reality. That's the reality of the world we live in. It's the reality of individuals who are sitting in this very sanctuary this morning. What do we do about that? How how do we confront sexual immorality and honor God in our lives as it relates to this issue of sex? Let me leave you with these four things because I think this is the point of action. If that's you, listen, you may think no one else knows. And listen, no one else may know. But can I tell you something? God knows. He sees it all and He knows it all. And nothing's hidden from Him. You may be able to fool your mate. You may be able to fool your boss at work. You may be able to fool the pastor because like, I'm, I can be kind of naive about things. But listen, you're not fooling God. So how do, you, how do we respond? I think first is this. You need to come clean. It's always the first step. Come clean. 1 John 1, 9 says this. Confess your sin. As we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Listen, friends, the only sin that God can't deal with is the sin that you won't own. It's the sin that you try to keep hidden. So what the first step is to confess and repent. What does repent mean? Repent means to turn and go the other direction. I think the second step necessary is this. You need to create safe boundaries. Create boundaries that keep you away from the very temptation that can wreck your life. Listen, friends, if you keep going down the same road, you're going to keep doing the same thing. Really simple. You're going down the same road, you're going to keep having the same challenge. We all need boundaries. I need boundaries. You need boundaries. I have boundaries in my life. Because listen, I understand my humanity. I really do. I get this title pastor in front of my name, but I have to, listen, I live in the same world you live in. I deal with the same temptations, the same challenges. Listen, I have, I have like these safety parameters. I have boundaries in my life to protect me. Listen, everyone, listen, every single person needs safe boundaries. I think a third thing that every individual needs is this. You need to seek out accountability. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Again, we all need accountability. Listen, you you need people in your life who can look you in the eye and ask you the difficult questions. Like, 
What have you been looking at on your computer this week? Mind if I check it out? How's your thought life? How are you treating your mate? Just individuals who can ask the tough question. You need individuals who can, who can challenge you. You need individuals who can encourage you. Listen, don't travel alone. And get some people around you to hold you accountable. And here's the fourth thing. I know I always say this, but I think this is so important. Radically pursue Jesus. One of the things I've come to discover in my own faith journey is if I'm radically pursuing Jesus, it saves me from a lot of deception and detours and distractions. Why? Because I'm focused on Jesus and I'm going after Jesus. And it becomes like protection in my life. So radically pursue Jesus. So, so, so what's the summary of the message today? I, I bring you back to this. Sex is good and for our good as God has designed. But to enjoy the full benefit, we must follow God's guidelines. Listen, don't buy into the lie of our culture that says you can do whatever you want with whoever you want, and it's really okay. It's not. It's violation. It's like abusing the gift. So honor the gift. Enjoy the gift. But follow God's guidelines for for your benefit, for your good. This morning, I I want you to think with me one last illustration. I want you to think with me. You got to get a little, uh, I'll let your imagination run a little bit here. Let's say that I'm really rich and I'm really generous, really wealthy. I have lots of money. Money's not an issue. And I'm really generous. And I wanted to give you a gift. And the gift I wanted to give you was a Ferrari. Not just any Ferrari, but a, a Spider uh, 480, uh, just like this, brand new, right off the floor. I sign the title and I hand it over to you, and it's your car. Let me ask you a question: If if this was a gift I gave you, if this car was your car, would you take it off roading? Huh? If this was your car, would you just let anybody drive this car? Heck no. (laughs) If this was your car, would you leave it out in the weather and the snow, the rain, the sleet, the sun? No. If this was your car, if this is a gift that I gave you and this was your car, you would cherish it. You would protect it. You would care for it. You would garage it like you would really take care of the gift. Listen. God has given us a gift that's amazing beyond this Ferrari. It really is. Listen, don't take it off-roading. Listen, don't just let anybody get in your car and drive your car. Right? Don't just leave the gift out in the weather. No, listen, cherish the gift, the gift of sex. It's sacred. It's holy. It's God-given. It's good within the boundaries that God's created for your good and your benefit. Honor the gift. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you this morning for the encouragement of your word, the challenge of your word, the correction of your word.
God, I'm grateful that you didn't just leave us on our own to figure this out. God, God, you knew as wonderful as this gift, the gift of sex is, and all all the pleasure, the enjoyment, Lord, all all the fulfillment it would bring in our lives. God, you also knew that it would create challenges. You knew, God, that in our humanity and the pursuit of selfish desires out of control, Lord, this could be really destructive and damaging. So you gave us truth. You gave us direction. You gave us guidelines as to how we can honor the gift. And Lord, I would just know from statistics and and reading and just the reality of humanity, God, I would know that there's individuals here today who have violated or are violating the gift. Maybe it's an addiction to pornography and they think no one knows and it's okay, it's not hurting anyone when, Lord, it's really so destructive for their own lives. And maybe there's individuals here today who find themselves trapped in a a sexual addiction. Maybe there's individuals here today who are engaging in an inappropriate, illicit relationship. Holy Spirit, I ask today that they would not feel condemnation, that they would not feel like, wow, he's throwing rocks at me. No, Lord, I pray what they would feel is conviction that would lead to healthy change. Lord, what I know is you're a God of grace and you give us new beginnings and it's never too late. But I pray for individuals today that they would identify, that they would own that that point of of sexual immorality in their own lives. Lord, that they would see the danger of it. Lord, that they would come repentant unto you, receiving grace. Lord, that they would begin to build safety boundaries and bring accountability. Lord, that they might... Lord, embrace truth that brings freedom in their lives and for their lives. And Lord, my prayer beyond that is for every married couple, for every man and woman in the room today, for every husband and wife, God, may they discover, engage in and enjoy, Lord, the fullness of all that you intended when you created, Lord, uh, this thing we call sex. God, I just speak blessings on every marriage here today. And Lord, as we live in a world where we're bombarded from TV shows to advertisements to pop-ups on the screen to billboards, as we're, as we're bombarded, Lord, with all of these sexual images, as we're living in this sex-saturated society, Lord, help us live our lives in a God-honoring fashion. Lord, I know it's not easy. I know it's not. Lord, what I'm talking about today is, is, Lord, it's not easy to walk out, especially for those who are who are single or maybe they're they're single again. Lord, this is this is a challenge. So, Lord, I ask that you give them wisdom and insight and the courage and strength to walk this out. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.